My youngest child is a character, uh, to say the least. And Tuesday, he had the opportunity to go and be a part of the parade experience, if you will, here in Kansas City. My youngest son also shares a characteristic of his parents in that he is height challenged. And uh, he's got a great center of gravity, but it just doesn't go very high. So he got in the midst of 500,000, 800,000, whatever it was, and he got laid down on his blanket. And I, he came home, and what I thought would just be this terribly excited child, uh, unable to contain himself, walked in the door and kind of threw his stuff down, and he walked to his room, and we followed him back and said, Preston, what's wrong? And he said, Dad, he said, the only thing I saw was shoulders and elbows all day. He said, I never saw a baseball player. He said, I never heard anybody's voice, just shoulders and elbows all day. The most disappointing thing I've ever been to. And I said, but son, you were there. You were there. You're in the middle of that crowd. He said, yeah, surrounded by elbows and backs. He said, I should have just stayed home and watched it on TV. You know, um, here's the deal. I would have been excited to be in the crowd, but I would have been disappointed to not see the people I came to see. Could you imagine if a crowd gathered to see Jesus and you were in the very back of the crowd? Could you imagine standing and waiting? Could you imagine if the only thing you saw that day was elbows and backs? You never heard a voice. You never saw the man. What a disappointing walk home that would be. Amen. Especially if you're standing there to see Jesus, you're standing there to hear his words or maybe even to have the comfort of his touch. And go home empty handed. Or go home without a message or a word. How hard that would be, how disappointing that would be. I want to talk about that this morning. I want to we're going to be in the text of the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark this morning, chapters one and chapters two. I, I love one of the things I love in Bible study is I love to study the different gospel writers. Um, it, the, those perspectives are really neat when you really begin to think you've got Matthew, kind of the Jeep, the deep Jewish writer, if you will. And you have Luke, the doctor who wants to make sure everything's laid out there right. And you've got all the details, right? And then you've got John, the gospel writer, John. And let's just say he's probably sitting around somewhere with a tie dye T-shirt on and a headband. And there's probably incense burning in the room somewhere. And then you have Mark. The young guy. And what I think is so interesting about Mark is he doesn't. He doesn't he goes about his business really quickly. He doesn't want to bother you with a bunch of details that probably don't mean anything. What he wants to do is he wants you to open the word. He wants you to open this gospel, the story of Jesus, and he wants you right away to see Jesus. To see the Jesus that you probably need to know that you're probably looking for. 
so important to his gospel is the way he leads into it. He takes texts from Malachi chapter three and texts from Isaiah 40 in, in verse three. And he, I'm sorry, Malachi three, one and in uh, Isaiah 40, verse three. And he brings it to the first chapter in the first four verses of his text. He says the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. Now, he's going to he's going to go from here in the text and he's only going to use about a, a half of a chapter to take us all the way up to where Jesus begins his ministry with people. It's not not like the other gospel writers where there's several chapters that build up to it. Mark takes us right there. But he, he justifies the gospel that he's writing by saying this. To understand where we're going to go in this text and what I'm about to write to you is you have to understand what the promise was from the Old Testament prophets. You have to understand that this Jesus I'm about to talk to you about is the real deal. And he's going to fulfill the prophecy that's been spoken of. He's going to fall right in line with what we're looking for in the Messiah. And so he he he's very deliberate and he jumps right in to the text. Now, the stuff Jesus does attracts crowds. I want us to understand that the stuff that Jesus does in the scriptures attracts crowds and the stuff that Jesus does today attracts crowds. Amen. Look around you. The stuff when Jesus gets busy through his people, it attracts crowds. It generates curiosity. The world wants to know. Last night, I met a guy and I was talking with him and he said, uh, he asked me, he said, can I come to, to the church you preach at sometime? And I said, sure. He said, I got to warn you, though, I'm going to sit and heckle you. I want you to, can I sit in the back row and just heckle you? And I thought, well, that's not going to be any different. Sure, you've got to stand in line, though. Just kidding. Just behind my wife. I said, sure, come on out. You can heckle me all you want. Well, I'll just heckle you to make you better. I just want to sharpen your message a little bit. So let's get together Saturday before you preach on Sunday, and I'll just stand in the auditorium and heckle you then, and it'll make you better for Sunday. He was being serious to the idea of asking me this question. I want to come to church. I have a curiosity and I'm interested. And there's a crowd of people right now out there that want to know Jesus. They have some curiosity and they're interested. And so today's message is leaders make room. Leaders make room. I want us to look just at a couple of things in chapter one to build up to the stage of our text today. Look at uh, Mark chapter one and let's read together verses twenty two. In 23, 22 and 23, it says the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out. And I'll read 24. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, first of all, let me ask you a question. What is a possessed man doing in the synagogue? Don't you think he would have been rooted out? 
Don't you think at some point somebody would have asked him to leave if he was in the synagogue acting a fool? The point I want to make is this person that Jesus is about to deal with is a person that nobody else could deal with or he would have been out a long time ago. So the amazing part of this little thing that Jesus is about to do in his healing of this demon possessed man is he's going to deal with something nobody else could. Amen. Can the church, is there ways that we can come together and work together through the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit to do some things that possibly others can't get done? I see it all the time. I see the church helping areas all the time. Phone call after phone call. J.D. and Diana Green can, can attest to this in benevolence. Phone call after phone call of people saying, we can't help, we can't help. This goes against our, you know, this this rule and that rule and this rule and that rule. And it's sometimes it's only the church that will step in and help put all those other things aside. It's only God's people that are willing to do that. Jesus takes on this demon possessed man in the synagogue and he brings a healing that no one else could bring. The second thing let's look at is in uh, chapter one, verse thirty two and thirty three, just kind of laying out. The landscape here. So he went to her. uh, So he's talking about all these different people being brought to Jesus for healing. It says Simon's mother in law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So she he went to her and took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. You know, when Jesus went into a town, he met people where they were in their deepest need. That's where Jesus went to serve. And when Jesus does those things today, when when we don't stay within our own four walls, when we go outside those four walls and we begin to meet people where they're at and we begin to serve people where they're at, people become amazed. They become curious. They want to know more. They want to know who this Jesus is. Why are you people here? Three or four times in the past month, I've heard someone say, I don't understand why you guys are doing this. And the answer is always the same, because he would, because Jesus would. It's not appropriate to sit and to, and to say that we're Jesus, we're Jesus with skin on him and, and make that kind of bragging statement if we're not doing what, we're, what, what we would say we would do. And when the church begins to do that, it's amazing. And it draws a crowd, kind of like a baseball team that says they're a baseball team and that they want to win a championship. Right. But they're not drafting the players. They're not bringing in the talent to do it. And all of a sudden, at once they do that, and all of a sudden they're world champions. Right. And they attract a crowd because they began to do what they said they were going to do. You can't even get a nosebleed seat out there right now. When I first came to Heartland, people would send me tickets almost every week. Oh, the new minister, let's send him some Royals tickets. Really not a good way to keep a guy in your town. I'll never forget Terry Kilburn took Todd and I to a game one time and they they gave us batting helmets. And, and I thought, well, OK, well, I don't know what that's about is because the Royals hitters were so bad they couldn't hit the ball fair. They were just hitting balls at you all the time. When you start doing the right thing, people become curious. Curiosity brings them to a place where they're seeking more 
And brothers and sisters in Christ, this community right now is curious about Jesus. This community right now wants to know more about our Lord. And we have to prepare a place. Leaders will make room for that to occur. They will make room for that to happen. In Mark 1 and 35, just to set the landscape, Jesus knew that this wasn't something he just did on his own without any help. He goes and prays regularly, Mark 1, 35. And church, those conversations are powerful. It's not just about going outside the four walls and serving people and working. You can do that anytime. There's several organizations that do that. What sometimes differentiates us or makes us different is that we take time out and we join God. And it begins with that conversation. It begins with that acknowledgement of how God's working in us. And with us and how God will use us if we only let him, if we make ourselves available to him. And people become amazed and they become curious and they want to know Jesus even more. These pure acts of love and generosity generate that curiosity and the curiosity builds larger and larger crowds that come around and they want to know more and they want to see more. The final story that I love building this landscape is in Mark 1, verses 40 and 42. Listen to what this says. A man with leprosy came and begged him on his knees. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. These you got to understand, Jesus came from a people that believed if this man's shadow even went across him, he was to go bathe. He didn't touch lepers. He didn't reach out and touch them. That was, that was filth. It was dirt. And Jesus went beyond his four walls. He went outside the camp. And he went to this man where he was. He went to this man and gave him what he needed in the touch. And I, I preached that and I will preach that story over and over because it's a touching story. It's not just somebody sitting in a pew saying, well, you know, here's the money. Go do what you need to do. It's somebody getting out of the pew and going and finding that sick person and sitting down with them and putting their hands on them and praying with them and loving them and hugging them and giving them the love of Jesus one on one. It's beyond words. It's action. It's beyond faith that's dead. It's faith that's alive. And it draws a crowd and it draws a curiosity. When this kind of crowd assembles, there's need for spiritual leadership. And that takes us to our text today. And this is another story that often gets preached, but it fits so well today. And I want to talk about it from maybe a little bit different perspective than what we normally would. It says a few days later in Mark 2 and starting in verse 1, when Jesus again entered Capernaum. And what would it have been like to live in Capernaum right now? Can you imagine that? I'm in this city where demon possessed people that are hanging out in the synagogue, causing everybody problem. All of a sudden it's done. All these different sick people and all this different stuff's going on. And you, and you hear that there's a healing man. The best hospital just opened down the road. One doctor. He doesn't have any medicine or anything. He just touches you. He prays over you. It's gone. Could you imagine living in this city? They gathered in such a large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. 
Some men came bringing him paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get get him into Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. When people see that uh, Jesus is present and these crowds gather, it's a time when God's church here on earth needs leadership. God then begins to rely on us to make the gospel available. To do what we need to do to bring people to the feet of Jesus so they so that they can learn and so that they can grow. And sometimes, church, it's going to mean cutting holes in our roof. Sometimes, church, it's going to mean moving some things around and doing some things that we need to do to be effective to get people to that point. Leaders in the local congregations, they need to be diligent. These men were diligent in getting this man to Jesus. Leaders, and and I'll include members in the church, when they're presented with this, they have to have a desire to help. These men didn't just give up when the crowd was there. They had a desire to go well beyond that. These things need to be in place because when people follow those God calls to be leaders, they get blessed in return. Watch this video. Mandy, by the confession that you've made tonight that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died for our sins, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Today, you're going to be added to the universal church, His church, and only His church. You're going to gain brothers and sisters all over the world in Christ. You're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that gift is going to energize you watch over you and guide you the rest of your life. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and that you might be added to the body of Christ. Welcome your new sister, Mandy Malloy in Christ. And let's praise God and rejoice today for the opportunities we have like this when those those that gather at our door and we can get them to the feet of Jesus and we can show them Jesus and they put Jesus on in baptism. And then you know what they do? They join us in the march. They join us in the work. They go to work in our family. And leaders make room for this to happen. There's one thing for certain. I know this without a doubt. And this will be my point to kind of bring us to a close this morning. Jesus is at work in this place. Jesus is at work in every place. But he's especially at work in this place. Jesus is at work In the women's shelter, Jesus is at work. In the homeless shelter, Jesus is at work. In China, Jesus is at work. In La Palma, El Salvador, Jesus is at work. All over our community, Jesus is at work in this office during the course of the week. And Jesus is at work in every one of your homes in some way, shape, or form. And people are gathering. 
And people are curious. And there's a crowd at the door. There's a crowd at the door. And we've got work to do. We've got work to do. There's some questions I want us to ask here today. Are we prepared to be hospitable? Are we all amazed and blessed by God? And are we ready to testify that word to others? Are we ready to sacrifice to make an offering? Are we ready to do whatever it takes? This morning, if you're here, you've waited and waited. Now's your opportunity. The hole's in the roof this morning. I want you to come to Jesus. Don't, don't wait any longer. Don't put it off any longer. Take that step today. If you have taken that step in the past and it feels like that door's been closed, I want you to know that door's always open to you. Your love for God and God's love for you is something that can always be reconciled. As many times as it needs to be when it's sought after with an open heart. Don't wait anymore. Don't put it off anymore. Please come while we stand and sing.